0: If you have a Bible with you or some kind of device for the Bible app, go ahead and grab those things. Go to Mark chapter 1 with me. Uh, Mark 1. Back at the beginning of January, we kicked off a year long series on the book of Mark, and we're still in the first chapter. Uh, we'll actually wrap it up next week. But I'm excited about this passage that we're going to dive into today. Uh, to this point, a lot of the messages have been very theological in nature. Today's message is very, very practical in nature. So I'm believing you're gonna leave with a lot of things to take home and, uh, and apply and live out. All right, so Mark, chapter one. All right, check it out. Look at the screens up here. Anybody know who this guy is? All right, I heard several people say it. Uh, this is Pat Tillman. If you don't know about Pat Tillman, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of his story, okay? Back in 1998, Tillman was drafted into the NFL by the Arizona Cardinals, And within just a couple years, the guy actually developed into one of the standout players on the team. In fact, in the year 2000, he set a new team record for the most tackles in a single season. Well, in 2001, 9-11 happened. And I'm sure that many of you are like me and you can still remember exactly where you were as those planes flew into the World Trade Center towers in New York City Uh, Well, after that happened, Tillman decided, along with his brother, that he was going to enlist in the U.S. Army. It was a decision that required him to leave behind a three-year, $3.6 million contract being offered to him by the Cardinals. And after he made that decision, he was quoted as saying this, Sports embodied many of the qualities I deemed meaningful. However, these last few years, and especially after recent events, I've come to appreciate just how shallow and insignificant my role is. It's no longer important. Now, how in the world does a guy like that come to a conclusion like this? I mean, think about it. He had success. He had money. He had popularity. One of the greatest athletes in the world. So how does he come to this place where he says, none of it matters? None of it is important anymore in light of what's happened and what I have the opportunity to do. I'm willing to leave it all behind to lay my life down in the service of others. Well, the answer to that question is is simple. I believe at some level, Pat Tillman understood the principle that we're going to talk about today. It's this, that purpose is greater than popularity. That purpose is greater than popularity. It's greater than success It's greater than money, it's greater than power, Uh, it's greater than you being one of the best at whatever it is you do. Purpose is greater than having crowds of people cheering your name and and telling other people how awesome they think you are, right? I mean, when you really live your life for something that matters, and you strive to make a difference in this world, you start to understand that popularity and all that comes with it is, is truly meaningless, insignificant, Because none of those things uh, bring lasting joy and satisfaction, right? Some of you know this. The only thing that brings lasting joy and satisfaction is living for a purpose greater than yourself. And that's the reality we're going to see in our passage for today. Uh, If you were here last week, you might remember we covered the topic of authority, and, and we got to see the authority of Jesus over both the physical and the spiritual worlds, right? He goes into a synagogue. There's a demon-possessed man there. And with a simple command, Jesus casts out the demon. And then he goes to Peter and Andrew's house. And, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And he goes in and takes her by the hand and he lifts her up. And immediately she is healed and made well. Well, these people in Capernaum, the town Jesus was in, they saw and they experienced that authority. And so naturally, they went out and they found all these other sick people and demon-possessed people. And they started bringing them to Jesus for help. Which tells us that by this point in the book of Mark, I mean, we're not even out of chapter 1, that Jesus has gained major popularity. In fact, in verse 33, Mark says that as Jesus is healing and casting out demons, that the whole city of Capernaum was at the door. Now listen, that's obviously hyperbole, right? Mark's exaggerating here. The whole city was not actually at the door. He's making an overstatement to help us understand what that crowd must have been like. I mean, it was like a celebrity had come to down. And as crazy as it sounds, that celebrity was Jesus. And that's what we're going to pick up in the story. All right, here we go. Mark one, starting in verse 35. Mark says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So get the picture in your mind. All right. Popularity pursues Jesus one evening. And the very next morning, Jesus gets out of bed very early, still dark outside. And he gets alone and goes to a place where hopefully no one can find him. And he prays. And the implication is that he spent prolonged time in prayer. Now, this is one of three times in the entire book of Mark we actually find Jesus praying. The second time he prays is in Mark six forty-six, after he feeds thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then the third time he prays is in Mark fourteen thirty-two. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he goes to the cross. And here's what's so interesting. When you study all three of these passages, you find that in each scenario, Jesus is praying in the face of temptation. Temptation, don't miss this, temptation to remain in a place of security, safety and comfort rather than pursuing the purpose for which God sent him into the world. This purpose that that involved him leaving the crowds behind in order to go to a cross to lay his life down for sinful people like you and like me. And so think about this with me. If Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God, needed to spend time alone with God in prayer to fight temptation and remain focused on his purpose, how much more do we as sinful, imperfect people need to spend time alone with God in prayer for those same reasons? Well, I would say much more, right? Which brings me to my first point. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Pursuing your purpose requires personal devotion. No way around it. If you want to pursue your purpose, it requires personal devotion. Now, to understand the whys behind this, the first question we need to answer is, what is our purpose? Like, I don't want to assume you know what it is today, so let's talk about it. What is our purpose? Well, according to the Bible, the answer is very, very simple. Your purpose and mine as human beings is this. God created us to glorify him by knowing Jesus and making him known that easy regardless of what you do each day regardless of career or uh where you find yourself your entire purpose in life is to glorify god by knowing jesus and making him known right it goes back to that whole great commandment thing uh, that we find in both the old and new testaments we are to love god with all our heart soul mind and strength and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves that's your purpose it's my purpose and here's what that means if you walked in today and you feel like your life lacks purpose the reason's simple you're not living for that purpose. Are you with me? Is this making sense, 10 o'clock? Okay, listen, if, uh, if you walked in, you don't know Jesus. Like there's never been a point in your life where you've put your faith in him and, and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and become your savior so that you could know him and make him known, your life lacks purpose. Uh, if you know Jesus, you've come to that point, you've asked him to become your savior, yet you still don't love him above all else in life and you don't love other people like he's loved you, I'd put money on it, you feel today like your life lacks purpose, right? In either case, until you start living for the purpose God's created you to live for, you'll always feel the way you're feeling. And so with that said and that established, let's talk about why personal devotion matters so much to that purpose. I'll give you four reasons, all right? Number one, without it you can't know Jesus. Why does personal devotion matter? Because without it, you can't know Jesus. This is a principle true in all relationships, right? If I don't spend time with someone, I can't know that person. Even if that person is someone like my wife. You know, I can live in the same house as my wife. I can have kids with my wife. I, I can be married to my wife for years and years and years. But if I don't spend time with her, getting to know her, our relationship will never go to deeper levels. And the same is true with Jesus. You see, if you don't spend time with him, if you don't spend time getting to know him through prayer and through reading the word, through spending time in worship both corporately and personally, I guarantee it, your relationship with him will always stay on a surface level. And until that changes, you'll always feel like your life lacks purpose. Without it, you can't know Jesus. Secondly, without it, you can't make Jesus known. I mean, imagine it like this. Uh, somebody, some, someone comes to me, they ask me about you, but you and I haven't really spent much time together. I mean, maybe we've shaken hands and we've said hi here and there on Sundays, but we've never sat down to a meal, never engaged in deep conversation. What am I going to tell that person when they ask? Well, not much, right? Well, he seems kind of nice and I like his shirt, you know, but I'm not going to have much to say. If anything, I'm going to have to tell them, I don't really know that person very well. The point again is this, in order to make someone known, I first have to know them. The same applies to Jesus. I have to know Jesus if I'm going to make him known to the world around me. And that's a, a principle and a truth that I get to experience every single week as I prepare to actually get up and preach this book. Because all of you people show up on Sundays expecting me to have something decent to say, right? Which is fair, by the way. I can live with that. And so week after week, listen, I am required to go deep with the Lord in prayer and in study so that I can know Jesus more and love Jesus more and then show up on Sundays and make him known to you. And can I tell you one of the great benefits of doing that personally? I grow spiritually. Isn't that awesome? Like I know you think you all show up to church on Sundays so that you can grow spiritually and you don't think about James' spiritual growth that much. But I'll tell you, Tuesdays through Thursdays, as I'm praying and studying and writing these messages, the Lord is doing a work in my life before we ever get here so that he can do a work in yours. I share that to say this. Over my years in ministry, I have talked to countless people who have stopped growing spiritually. Because they have stopped taking steps to make Christ known to the world around them, and I'll give you an example of what I mean. All right, a uh, few years ago, I was over at Starbucks with a guy from our church, and uh, we sat down, and he said to me, "James, I'm in church every week. I go to my small group. I'm giving my money. I don't feel like I'm growing at all." And so I just asked him. I said, "Who are you investing in? Who are you serving?" Who are you teaching the word to? What steps have you taken to make Christ known to other people around you? And guess what? He didn't have an answer to any of those questions. I'm saying this today because I love you this much. Please don't miss this. If all you ever do in your life is sit in a seat and soak and receive... And you never take steps to pour yourself out for the sake of others. You will never be forced to go deep in your relationship with Christ. And over time, your spiritual growth will hit a lid. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The greatest way to grow spiritually is by helping others grow spiritually. Please hear me. Don't miss it. Write it down. The greatest way to grow spiritually is by helping others grow spiritually. Do you want to go to the next level in your relationship with Jesus Christ? then get some people around you and start investing in them. Make Christ known, all right? Number three, why does personal devotion matter? Because without it, your strength will fail. Without it, your strength will fail. I'll just be really honest and speak from my own experience right now. Uh, Pursuing your purpose can be exhausting because people are needy. How many of us know that people are needy? All the parents in the room said, amen. Yes, praise the Lord, that's right. Let me ask you this question. How many of us in the room know that we're needy? Yeah, we got hands going up, but not as many. Um, Listen, can we be honest? None of us like acknowledging our own neediness like we like acknowledging the neediness of others. It's why some of us in the rooms will, will push ourselves and exhaust ourselves and never ask for help from anyone, including the Lord. And can I tell you, uh, as long as you're in that place, you'll miss out on your purpose. Because living that way, that's called uh, pride. And pride will eventually catch up with you. And in some way, your world will come crashing down. If you truly want to pursue your purpose, you have to get to this place where you're willing to admit not only your need for the Lord, that's primary, but also your need for other people. You do realize we need each other, right? And if you're not willing to admit that I need you and I need us then what's gonna happen is over time, you'll pour yourself out and pour yourself out and you'll never fill yourself back up through personal devotion with the Lord, even if it involves other people. And guess what'll happen? Eventually, your strength will fail. You will become, I guarantee it, spiritually exhausted, spiritually empty, and you'll wake up one day and you'll go, wow, I don't think I have anything left to offer anyone. Number four, why does personal devotion matter? Because without it, your focus will be lost. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the temptation of Jesus that we find earlier in Mark chapter 1. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and, and it was there that he was tempted by Satan himself. And Satan tempted him to abandon both God and his purpose. And here we are just a few verses later, and that same temptation is staring Jesus in the face again. He's being tempted yet again to abandon God and his purpose. Don't miss this. For the sake of comfort, security, and popularity. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I mean, it should, right? Because the culture in which we live today, man, those things are constant temptations for us. And it's not that any of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But hear me, they become bad when they begin to distract you from knowing Jesus and making him known. Now, what's really scary is that many people who are distracted by those things don't even realize they're being distracted. And some of you, you're gonna get this, right? Uh, Success, money, power, popularity, comfort, it all has a way of making us feel like we've got life figured out, doesn't it? And as long as you feel like you've got life figured out, the temptation is to settle in and coast. It's kind of like living life on cruise control. Here's what's unfortunate about that. People who coast through life Uh, wake up one day, probably toward the end of their life, and they look back and go, I've spent all this time pursuing all the wrong things instead of pursuing my purpose. And they come to this conclusion, well, I've wasted all these years on stuff that doesn't matter. I don't want that to be true for you, and I don't want that to be true for me. So please listen. If you want to see past the distractions of this world, the temptations of this world, the only way to do it is through personal devotion. You get alone with the Lord, and you press into him, and it's in those personal moments that he reminds you why you're here and what life is really all about. It's what we see Jesus doing for the disciples in our passage. I mean, we're, we'll read this in just a moment, but, but they come back to Jesus, and they're all excited about his growing popularity, and Jesus, in a very loving way, but in a very direct way, he reminds them what his life is all about and what their life should be about. Look at verse 36. Mark continues and he says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Mark tells us that that's Simon, that's Peter by the way, uh, and some people who were with him, they started searching for Jesus. Now, when you study this this text in the original Greek language of the New Testament, you find that the implication of that word searching means that as they were searching, they were very annoyed. They were upset that they had to take time out of their nice little morning to go and hunt Jesus down. Now, has anybody ever been there? Like you ever lost something important and in your annoyance, search for it. This just happened to me. Uh, I was out of the country a couple weeks ago, and while I was gone, my wife decided to move the coffee filters, which is great because where she put them makes sense. They probably should have been there in the first place. Uh, What what was bad for me is that she didn't tell me she moved them, and so the day after I get back home from my trip, I get out of bed. It's like 6 a.m., and I go to make coffee, which, by the way, I desperately needed in that moment, and uh, I go to the pantry, reach in. The coffee filters are not there. And so naturally, you know, I I responded by praying a prayer of joy and singing a worship song, you know. (laughs) No, man, I was annoyed. I got frustrated. Like, are you kidding me? I know that there were plenty before I left. They got to be here somewhere. And so I searched and searched and searched, and I could not find them. And you know, like I know, that searching without finding is frustrating. That's how those guys felt. But it wasn't because they missed Jesus, and it wasn't because they really wanted to spend time with him. No, no, they were annoyed because they wanted Jesus to come back to town and leverage his newfound celebrity. Many Bible scholars speculate that this is why Mark doesn't even call them disciples in this passage. He just refers to them as Simon and those who were with him. I mean, they weren't really acting much like disciples in this moment, right? Well, eventually after searching, they found them and they come to Jesus and they say to him, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Can you hear the annoyance? Everybody has been searching, why did you withdraw, why did you get away? Again, when you go back to the Greek, you find that the word looking that Peter uses there, it implies that these people were looking for Jesus with inappropriate intent. And so here's the idea of that. They were looking for Jesus, not because they wanted Jesus, they just wanted what Jesus could do for them. You with me? So in other words, let me make it easy. What they desired was not the man, it was his miracles. And Jesus knows it, man, he's God, he knows. And so he looks at his disciples and he goes, let's get out of here, let's leave. Probably not the response they were hoping for or expecting, but Jesus says, look, we're gonna get out, we're gonna go to the next towns so that I can preach there also, for that is why I came out, that's why I came to the earth. And with that statement, look, Jesus is reminding us yet again that purpose is greater than popularity. At this point in his ministry, Jesus' entire purpose, as we just read, centered on preaching. He came to this earth to preach the good news of God's coming kingdom. Like his goal was to go from place to place and, and to declare to people far from God that God himself is ushering into the world a new creation so that you can come back in a right relationship with him. And so that means this, that healing people and casting out demons were not primary issues for Jesus. They were important, but they weren't primary The reason he healed and the reason he cast demons out of people was to support the message he was proclaiming about the kingdom of God. And can I tell you, that's why we as a church do many of the things that we do to serve people. It's why we serve the poor and the homeless. It's why we take care of orphans and widows. Uh, It's why we drill clean water wells and and we feed hungry folks. It's why we pray for those who are sick or spiritually broken. We don't do those things just because they're all nice things to do. I mean, they are. They're good. They're important. We do those things out of our love for God and love for people to support the message we are proclaiming about the goodness of our God and Savior. Are you with me? And so, again, I I just need you to know that, that what that means for you is your primary purpose here on the earth goes beyond just serving and meeting needs. Because if all you do is serve people and meet their physical needs, but you never get around to sharing the good news of Christ the greatest need in their life goes unmet. And at that point, what good did we do in meeting a bunch of physical needs? None. We have to remain focused on our purpose. So, with that said, I'm going to give you a few more takeaways from uh, what we see in Jesus's response, and I hope this is helpful. Uh, first thing is this. We learn in Jesus's response that he wants followers, not fans. That he wants followers, not fans. I'm just curious, am I the only one in the room still grieving the Falcons' loss last Sunday night? Is it too early to bring that up? Um, If it is, you'll have to get over it, because I just did it, but still a little bit of grief left inside uh, this this fan up here on the stage. Uh, But here's the great thing about losing. Losing's tough, but there is a benefit. Here's the benefit. Losing separates fair-weather fans from diehard fans. We might even call diehard fans followers, right? You see, the attitude of a Fairweather fan is this. Well, if they lost, so I'm out. Things didn't go the way I wanted it to go, and so I'm getting off the bandwagon. If that's you, then we love you, but you, man, put on some black and gold and cheer for somebody else, right? True fans, diehard fans, followers, they're, they're different, right? Diehard fans are those people. Uh, I got a Saints fan in the front row, so I had to make that joke for him. Um, diehard fans are different, Diehard fans are those that even after the loss, like like the day after, they're still wearing the gear, they're still flying the flags, they're still saying, Yeah, come on. <laughs> I lobbed it up. I, lo- <laughs> I was hoping somebody would just kind of take it and knock it out. You did. So listen, listen, the same principles apply when it comes to Jesus. There's a big difference between fans of Jesus and followers of Jesus. And there's a really easy way to know which one someone or or even you are, right? Fans of Jesus, they're all about team Jesus until following him begins to cost them something. Once they start losing stuff, they're out. Followers are different. Followers are those people who love Jesus so deeply because they understand how deeply he loves them that they're willing to lose everything if they still have their, their savior. And so in light of that, I would just ask you, Which side of the fence do you fall on? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Do you love Jesus or or do you only love his gifts? Do you want the man, the savior, the son of God? Or do you only want all those things he can do for you? I just remind all of us today and, and, and I'm reminding myself as well that Jesus is not interested in fanfare. He is not flattered by the praise of people who have no desire to follow after him. What Jesus wants is people who want to know him and people who want to make him known to the world around them. And that, my friends, is why Jesus gave up his life. He died so that we could be those people. The second takeaway is this, that pursuing your purpose isn't always popular. Pursuing your purpose isn't always popular. Do you think it was a popular move for Jesus to leave Capernaum? Not at all, right? I'm sure his disciples weren't happy about it. Because they were his boys, you know, the entourage, they are benefiting from his popularity, and Jesus is going, we are leaving. Not cool, right? The people of Capernaum probably weren't too thrilled about it. They wanted Jesus to stay and to do more miracles. And Jesus said, no, I'm not staying, I'm out. Again, here's the point. If you, like Jesus, want to pursue your purpose, at some point you have to be willing to leave popularity behind because pursuing your purpose isn't always popular. And some of you know this to be true from your own experience, don't you? Because you started following Jesus and all those people that were once in your life decided they didn't want to be your friend anymore because you're lame now and you're not any fun and you're weird and and your family members thought you've lost your mind. This is just a phase and he or she will outgrow it over time. The neighbors aren't inviting you to cookouts, the coworkers, they don't want to take you to lunch. It's like this Jesus thing has hijacked your popularity. Look, for those of you in the room who've experienced that, or for those of you who fear that being your experience, uh, can I share something with you today that I hope will free you up? Don't miss this. Look, I need you to know that as Christians, we will never be the most honored or the most popular people here on the earth. We just won't ever. And here's why. Because earthly greatness in this broken world will always matter more than spiritual greatness. And you and I follow a savior and we proclaim a message that flies in the face of earthly greatness. You see, anytime you tell someone who's pursuing earthly greatness that they're not so great and what they need is someone greater than them to save them because their earthly greatness can't do it, well, people are bound to get upset and you're bound to lose popularity and I pray that knowing that frees you up because if you live with those right expectations, you won't be discouraged or disappointed when they're actually met. Now, I'll give you some good news to hopefully for, uh, further free you up. Don't miss this. Listen, in God's eyes, all that matters is spiritual greatness. Isn't that awesome? And hear me, by spiritual greatness, I don't mean that you're this popular spiritual giant that everybody praises and celebrates. Like, you don't need a platform like this to be spiritually great, When I say spiritual greatness, all I mean is that you're a person who every day is willing to walk in humility. And every day you you strive to just love Jesus a little more than you did the day before. And you spend your life knowing him and pressing into him so that in, in turn you can go out into the world that desperately needs to know him and you can make him known to others. Those are the people that God praises and celebrates. And let me just ask this question. If God is praising and celebrating you What other praise and celebration do you need? The last point is this. I would say to you, don't let self-seeking people keep you from your purpose. Don't let self-seeking people keep you from your purpose. Has anybody in the room ever been taken advantage of by someone else? Like maybe you lent someone money and they promised to pay you back. And then all of a sudden they were gone and you never saw them or your money again. Anybody been there? Yes. Look, I would bet in that scenario, what you didn't do is like open your wallet and go, wow, I still have some cash left. I want to go find someone else to lend some money to. (laughs) Now, why? Well, it's simple because as people, when we are taken advantage of, our default is defense mode. Am I right? We go into this mindset. I have to protect myself so that doesn't happen to me again. Here's what I find so fascinating about Jesus. His default seems to be just the opposite. I mean, as we've already learned, these people in Capernaum were self-seeking people. They didn't want Jesus. All they wanted was what Jesus could do for them. And so what we might expect to see in the passage is Jesus saying to his disciples, we're leaving, I'm not helping anybody else. If people are going to take advantage of me like that, they can stay sick, they can be demon-possessed, I'm not teaching anybody else, I'm done pursuing my purpose. But he doesn't. Instead, he says to his guys, "Um, there are still people out there who need help. There are still people out there who need to hear this message I've come to proclaim. And so let's move on from here and let's go to these other towns and let me keep preaching and let me keep helping and let's see what happens in the lives of people. Again, the point I'm trying to make simple, you, if you really wanna pursue your purpose, you can't let the fear of being taken advantage of by self-seeking people keep you from it. Again, I'll just be honest. We've been honest a lot today together, right? So let me be honest one more time. If you wanna lay your life down in the service of others to make Christ known to the world around you, at some point you'll be taken advantage of. It is going to happen. And so the best thing you can do is just accept it and get over it and move on. I just experienced this two weeks ago. I'm in Greece and uh, the group of guys I was with were walking from uh, a meeting to dinner one night and we run into this lady on the street and she's got a kid with her, and she's got a dog with her, and she's crying, and she starts to tell us about how her husband's sick, and they had to flee their country, and they're there in Greece, and they have nothing to eat, nowhere to sleep, and they don't have any money, and none of us were really too sure about her story, but um, sat and talked with her for a while, and we decided, all right, we're going to get her some food, so we did. Uh, We got her a little bit of money so that she could stay in a hostel in a nearby town that she was traveling to, And then we shared the gospel with her and we prayed over her just in the middle of this busy street uh, before we left. Well, after we left, we went to dinner, had a great time. And then wouldn't you know it, after dinner, we're walking back to our hotel and we run into her on the street again. And uh, from the looks of it, she's hustling some other people like she apparently had hustled us. Well, it was kind of frustrating in that moment, just being honest, to think that we had been taken advantage of. But here's the reality. and, And I said this to one of the guys as we were walking back. Like, I I don't think God in that moment was looking down on us from heaven and condemning us for trying to help a woman that we truly thought was in need, right? If anything, I have to believe that that God celebrated the fact that a group of men from all the way across the world were willing to meet a woman right where she was to, to share and to show the love of Christ with her in a very, very tangible way. And you know what? We got nothing out of it. She got something out of it we were taking advantage of. But at least she heard about the Savior that can change her life. Listen to me. You want to pursue your purpose? Get ready. People will take advantage of your kindness, and they will take advantage of your compassion. But you cannot let those people keep you from the ones who truly want and desire the help and hope that only Jesus gives. And so right now what we're going to do, I know this has been a lot, a lot to take in, a lot to apply. But we're just going to pray right now. And ask us, or ask God to help us to live out our purpose in whatever way we need. So would you go to God in prayer with me? As, uh, as you're settling in and, and beginning to pray, I want to speak to those of us in the room who walked in today without a relationship with Jesus. And I'd also just invite our prayer team to go ahead and come up and get in their places. But if you walked in today and, and you know that you're someone who's never come to that place in life where in faith, you've come to Jesus confessing your need for him. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, to take hold of your life, to make you a new creation, to save you. And you've walked in today and and your life lacks purpose. Like you've lived for everything under the sun. Uh, You've acquired things that, that this world has to offer and you still feel empty and you still question why you're here. Again, I just want to remind you, as we've talked about today, you cannot find purpose outside of Jesus Christ. You can only find it in a relationship with him. And so if you need that today, right where you sit, why don't in prayer right now you just say something to God like this. Just say, God, I need you. I need purpose. I need my life to change. And I believe Jesus is the one who can change it. I put my faith in his death on the cross for me. I believe that he he died for my sins so that I could be forgiven and loved by you. I put my faith in his resurrection from the dead. I believe that he conquered sin, death, and hell for me so that I could become the person, God, that you've created me to be. And so, God, I'm, I'm asking you right now, would you forgive me? Would you save me? God, take hold of my life and make me into the person you've created me to be. And God, give me the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life with you one day. I say yes to Jesus. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed all over the room, if you just pray that with me, I want to ask you to do me a simple favor. Nothing crazy, but just right where you're sitting, would you just acknowledge the fact that you made that decision by just lifting a hand? Just throw it up real high, James. That's me. Um, we have somebody coming to you right now. Just keep your hand up. Our prayer team's going to put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, James, that's me, they're coming. Just be patient with us. Just keep your hand up. James, that's me. Put my faith in Jesus today. Anybody else, anybody else, they're coming. They're coming right there in the back. They're coming. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, in just a moment, the band is is gonna come and lead us and we're gonna respond But before we do that, let me just pray for you. God, in the next few moments, would you continue to move in this place? Uh, God, we are saying to you right now, we need you. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your courage. Uh, God, so many of us in this room, I I know we want to live for that purpose that you've put us in the world to live for. But God, we need your help. We can't do it without you. And so, God, in the next few moments, would you just continue to do things in our lives that only you can do? so that we have the power that we need to go out of of this place today and to make famous the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and respond.